0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com.
2: This week on Meetin 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures.
1: We are searching for what will be
3: lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it.
2: What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve
4: them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just... It's, there's nothing like it. You know, yeah. there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier.
2: <laughs> Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome everyone to The Line. Before we jump into the episode, a quick note on Taste of the Nation. On April 17th at the Brooklyn Expo Center from 6 to 9 p.m., Taste of the Nation is back. We're going to have 40 of the hottest chefs, bartenders, and sommeliers coming together for the food event of the season. You can buy tickets by going to events.nokidhungry.org forward slash events forward slash New York City's Taste of the Nation. And if you want, you can use the code The Line 20 for 20% off tickets. All of that information is also in my Instagram at the Sussmans. And at one point during the show today, I will be giving away a pair of tickets. So stay tuned for that. Uh, now let's move into the episode. I want you to maybe reach into your pocket. Do you have a, a few loose bills there, maybe 2 or $3 crumpled up with your Metro card. What if I told you that that little bit of cash could get you a full meal, hot, ready in under 10 seconds, yes, 10 seconds, and no, the year isn't 1995. At 10 locations around New York City, two bros serves a $1 slice that each day is lunch, dinner, snack, or all three for thousands of hungry and budget-conscious New Yorkers. Today on the show, I welcome another Eli, but his name is actually Ellie, who's also in the food business with his brother, Eli Halali is the co owner of Tubro's Pizza. They have 10 locations. They also have the Juice Shop with four locations and Taqueria Diana with four locations. And they recently opened Upside Pizza, a different pizza concept from Tubro's that doesn't sling the famous $1 slices and has a different configuration of the dough. And we're going to get all into that later on in the show. Upside is a little bit trendier. It pulls from 90s influences with graphics that'll make you more reminisce about, say, by the bell, maybe. Tubro's is firmly a working, working New Yorker grab-and-go slice shop. No frills, no extras, nothing too exciting, just a solid $1 slice of pizza. Today we're gonna to be talking about all their businesses, operating multiple locations, expanding food brands in the most challenging city in the world, working with your brother, and yes, I promise I'm going to ask him how the hell they make money selling $1 slices of pizza. If you love arguing about pizza culture, New York's food scene, and want to hear about brand building from a marketing master, this episode is for you. Stick with us. Ellie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's get started as we always do at the way beginning. So, your family is Iraqi and Moroccan Jews, uh, you were uh, born in Israel. Yes. And then you moved here when you were really young. So tell me a little bit about you and your brother moving to the United States. Where did your family settle? And uh what did your parents do when they got here? Were they in the food business?
3: So we got here in nine so we moved here when I was three years old, nineteen eighty-six. Uh my dad my grandfather had a girlfriend at the time who lived in who was a professor at Columbia. And uh, you know, they were able to get us into the country through, you know, him marrying his girlfriend. And uh my dad's first job was a cab driver uh like a town car type of driver and uh you know all kinds of different he did all kinds of different businesses uh he was an entrepreneur also at heart didn't really you know had a restaurant also at one point during that period but we settled in you know uh south brooklyn at that time we were more in the midwood area when we first moved uh into the country and uh and uh, you, you know, we you know, we grew up as uh, as middle uh, you know as middle class you know immigrants who came into the country you know cl- your classic Brooklyn yeshiva boys.
2: And were you and your brother? I mean, you you came here at such a young age that uh, I imagine you didn't really remember anything else except being Brooklyn guys, right?
3: No, nothing at all. You know, when we first moved here, it was more of a more of a every year we'd live in a different house. My dad, you know, he was working up. My mom was a waitress at like a catering hall. They were just trying to make ends meet, really. I remember literally from the age of three to the age of 10 living in, I think, four or five different houses all around the same neighborhood, Midwood and Sheepshead Bay Area. And then in 1993, at the age of 10, at that point, we were four kids. My my brother and I, who were the oldest, and my two younger sisters. We bought a house in in a neighborhood called Bergen Beach. It's like a part of. Uh this whole area in South Brooklyn, Mill Basin, Bergen Beach, Georgetown, and that's really where we settled, and that's, I guess, where really the memories start, I guess.
2: And there's a lot of, there's a pretty good Jewish population down in Bergen Beach, right? There's a lot of Russian Jews in that area, or am I thinking further south?
3: So when we lived there in the early 90s, the neighborhood was probably 70% Italian, I would say, and 30% different types of Jews, whether it was Russians, Israelis, uh, different type of Jews. And I would say now, it's about 90% a mix of Russians and Israelis, and 10% all, di- all types of different ethnic backgrounds. Did you, you know? grow up kosher? So, uh, it's a loaded question, <laughs> but but, uh, but my brother and I, I, Some I would say version whole, of for the most part, our whole life, we've never really, uh, you know, with, with deviations <laughs> here and there during college or high school, we've never really eaten non-kosher meat. So, so we'll still eat at every pizzeria, or, you know, we'll eat pasta out fish out or whatever but you know meat pork that type of stuff that's something that we've just always been able to stay away from always tried at least to stay away from
2: but you do obviously serve pepperoni at at your restaurants. Yeah, it's a
3: beautiful thing to look at.
2: <laughs> so when you're younger and you're uh, a teenager and you're, you're in an, a neighborhood that's heavily Italian, was there like a go-to pizza shop that you and your brother, maybe your sisters as well, your friends, like did you hang out at a neighborhood joint and grab slices? Was that a part of your teenage years?
3: So growing up in our neighborhood, there was three places we could walk to. There was Gino's that was in Bergen Beach that's no longer there. There's a place called La Villa that's still there till today. That's that's you know a big influence a beast on our life too. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. It's, it's it's a huge place. They have a couple of stores around. They have a store in Park Slope. Also, I believe they had a store in the city at one point in the '90s. They don't yeah. anymore. But that was a big you know, you know to us. We still think it's like one of the best businesses, uh, pizza businesses. When you look at it from top to bottom, how how they run a pizzeria had a big influence on us. And then there was also Originals, who's also still there. And uh, ironically, one of the only people that use uh, the Montague brand ovens that we use at Upside, one of two other restaurants in New York that use that oven. So,
2: Was that a coincidence? Complete coincidence. You didn't like look at their business and say that those are great ovens and Comple- we like what they're doing. Complete
3: coincidence. When we really looked into the oven, the only place that we knew that was using it was Bedia in Philly, who, you know... Bon appetit you know called him you know the best pizza in in, in the country, and we wanted to create uh, the type of product that we wanted to create we knew you know, we, we knew we needed an oven that had heat from the top bottom surrounding areas. So we looked at that oven and then my hood guy who I've been using for 15 years, Israeli from Bergen, happens to be an Israeli from Bergen Beach. You know, when he saw the, the oven we were putting in, he's like, you know, oh shit, originals just put these in seven I've seen years these ago. Before. Seven years ago, they're telling me that they're cooking pies now in six minutes instead of 10. And, and uh, and, uh... It's a cool thing.
2: Your dad has an entrepreneurial spirit, and obviously that was uh, that, that trickled down to you and your brother. Do you remember the first time you and Oren, your brother, had sort of an inkling that? Maybe you wanted to be in business together. Were you guys like hustling in high school, so, you know, selling T-shirts or I don't know, doing something that was a business model that was a precursor to you working together in this capacity?
3: Yeah. So you know, hassan Minaj, he has this line that you know, all immigrant kids of the '90s, you know, it's like their brain is like 50% hair gel or 50% '90s NBA references, right? Some something like that. I, I can't quote it, the exact uh, the exact formula, but for us, we were big basketball freaks, mm-hmm. and our you know our First thing in fifth grade, we uh, you know my dad rented a booth for us at the Golden Gate Inn in Sheepshead Bay to sell our basketball cards at, and 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 uh, you know it was fifty dollars to rent the booth. I think we cleared maybe one hundred eighty dollars that day. You know, I would say that was the, that was the first uh, inkling into into business. Together. Your your
2: heart started going. The emotion 100%. of making a
3: sale was kind of exciting. Got
2: a little money in your pocket. Hundred
3: percent, hundred percent,
2: and. When when you and your brother are, are in high school and you're starting to make decisions about the next stage of your life, um, was it just a given both your parents, were, th- were, you, were you have to go to college? Do they let you deviate from sort of the normal traditional immigrant story, which is like get a get a job, you got to be a lawyer, a doctor, you know, I know how Jewish parents are. <laughs> there's, there's sort of like a, a strictness sometimes with immigrants and especially Jewish parents that like you have to have a specific profession. Did you feel that way coming from your parents?
3: So, so we both got kicked out of yeshiva at ten, after 10th grade and we started going to public school at that point. Uh, we went to James Madison in Brooklyn and, uh, that's when we kind of fell in love at that point of our life with, you know, hip hop and graffiti culture. Graffiti culture was a big part of our life in high school. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where our head was at, really, for the most part. You know, graffiti, basketball, hanging out, not really, not really so much focused on studies like, like we should have been at that point of our life. Obviously, our parents wanted us to go to college. It was an important thing for them, and ultimately, we kind of figured that out ourselves you know after we graduated from high school. my brother went to Brooklyn College and I went to pace university and uh and uh you know we were constantly hustling through 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 college also
2: in if that in that period, I assume you know you've Patrick Ewing obsession maybe I don't know who your like players were, but like you're obviously you're big into the Knicks you're big into like this kind of street culture uh did you ever think that maybe you were gonna go gonna go into like music or design or art or something like that that was more closely aligned what you were what you were into at that time or did it did you did you think at that time when you were at pace and your your brother was at school that um, a business together was gonna be where you were gonna go uh,
3: I always felt that that my brother and I were going to do something together, but the reality was we had no idea at that point in our life what we were going to do together. We had eBay businesses that w- that we would run together, we, you know, throughout throughout high school. Even we would sell sneakers on eBay when eBay was just first starting. You know, we turned that into a business. You know, we we had friends that worked at Supreme in two thousand and four before it became what it is now. You know, we would go out with them on on the weekends in college. And you know, we'd have the hookup to get like sneakers at that point and we would sell you know, we would resell all of them, you know, something that's become a big thing now. We were doing it like in two thousand and four, right? And uh, the original sneaker exactly, heads back exa- in the day. Exactly. So 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 we always had some kind of weird side hustle thing to us. Uh, throughout college I was uh, I, I somehow fell backwards into becoming like uh, like a quasi club promoter that I that you know, a different part which I had a different partner with that I was doing. And, uh, you, know, that, that, you know, we built it into a relatively lucrative business, lucrative enough that I was able to pay for, you know, my whole private college pretty much from it. And, uh, and like I said, my brother and I were just kind of doing side things at the time. And it was really till after, right around after, you know, a year or two after college when, when we had this idea to just maybe open a restaurant together and see what would happen. So how does Two Bros really come to be? It's
2: There's a big leap from, hey, we should uh, do something together to raising the money and actually finding the space and settling on a concept. Why pizza? Why the first location? And why with your brother?
3: <laughs> so so I'll tell you a secret that not a lot of people know and that we've never really mentioned before, but there used to be a dollar pizza place on on. 36th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. Right now there's a, there's a T-Mobile there and a hotel that's being built like right, right on top of the T-Mobile store pretty much. But in 2006, you know, we used to spend some time in that area and we, we would look at the store and it was pretty much just a window of a guy selling pizza for a dollar and he was insanely busy. And, and, you know, we would watch it and we would just say, you know, we would just say, we got to figure out this guy's numbers. How is he doing business? You know, how is he, how is he doing this and how is it working for him? We, you know, we bought in the distributors, you know, we, we met up with the distributors, we told them uh, we want to open a pizzeria. We didn't necessarily tell them we want to do it for a dollar. We understood what cheese cost. It happened to be that at that time in 2007, it was almost at an all time high. And, uh, and uh, you know, we started realizing that maybe this guy just happens to be crazy. You know, two weeks later, the guy closes the store, right? you know we, we were we 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 saw, we saw that they were about to close we talked to the manager at the, at the at the at the stand and he said someone signed a lease for the whole building we have to leave it was obviously becoming a T-Mobile you know they had like this like 50 square foot window uh in this thing and we told them you know we want to open a pizzeria we want you to to work with us or whatever so so he says fine and uh, and then and then we really just started looking for a location you know we would hang out a lot at St. Marks in our college years we would like our pregame spot would be McSorley's right we would just go there and drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'd go to like clubs uh, you know at you know we'd leave at like 12:30 and then go to the next place you know mm-hmm. hobble into the ne- well, you know hobble into the next place so we knew w- what St. Mark's was we knew it was like a block party 3 days out of the week so we said if we open a pizzeria here not necessarily a dollar pizza if we just open a pizzeria here we can be bu- you know we can be busy and we thought that the price uh that the rent prices were relatively low uh on that block for how busy it was so we- you know, we tried to sign one lease there. It didn't work out. A Pinkberry took the lease. It was right when Pinkberry was kind of blo- just starting to blow up. Then when, there was a subway that, that, that was going out. We met up with the landlord. He gave us, you know, he gave us a relatively good price. There were some issues with the store where it was kind of dug back in. You know, we met with the GC. He explained to us how he can fix, uh, how he could bring the storefront out a little bit closer to the street than where it was right now. Wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be, a, it, it's something that he could do by code. We got excited about it, and we, signed, and we signed the lease for our first store. At that point, we had enough money saved up to open what we thought we needed to open to make it work. We didn't understand a lot of things, obviously, in hindsight, like how hard it would be to bring gas to a location that doesn't have gas. And we, opened the, we signed the lease in uh, July of 2007 and opened uh, late, to uh, like the end of December, pretty much, Christmas week.
2: And... I assume that it went somewhat over budget. You had some complications involving just general. You needed to have some capital. There were capital expenses, right? And there were some things that you didn't really think about. And and so what did that look like when you pretty much put everything that you had into this pizza business? Like when you opened up the first day, were you and your brother there like cooking pies and working the counter? I mean what was your involvement in the business? Because neither of you really have – chef background neither of you are are pizza guys right
3: yeah but but like a lot of israelis we knew growing up in our town they all had different types of food businesses in the city you know some of the successful guys they had you know chains of bagel stores right you know other other type of pizzerias middle eastern restaurants Uh so so and and we watched how these guys kinda operated, and none of these guys were like the kind of guys that were that were, you know, prepping in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. They just kind of figured out a business, figured out a location, figured out numbers, and figured out that that there's a possibility that if they sign this lease and and do everything the way they they need to do it, they're they're gonna be able to make money. For us, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea. We just felt like pizza was a good business. We loved pizza, we loved the block. And we knew no matter what, probably just the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night rush of that location would be enough to to probably pay the rent, and we can figure it out later. So...
2: It's it's actually interesting. You did something right off the bat that I feel like everyone tries to do two years in, which is like create a structure in which they're an actual owner and that things have to happen just day to day by their employees and by you looking at all those other businesses and seeing the people operate them in that manner. Uh, you were you were immediately like the overseer and you weren't necessarily embedded in like the minutia of the minute to minute which is really critical in a business especially as you've gone and grow there's no way that you can be at every single place at the same time
3: it's true but it's but it, but it was but, but I think it's what made the business successful and it what it's what made the business able to scale right we opened this first store right the first day we do $1000 there's a pizzeria on the corner that was open i guess for 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 a while Italian guys were running it on the second day, they call the cops to the store, right? We're selling pizza for a dollar. We have this weird sign with like just a chalkboard, $1. We're selling eight, $900 a day. We're, we're, we're clearly losing money. And we have the cops at the store, right? Saying, you know, this guy called us, he's saying you're selling pizza for a dollar. You know, we're saying, what do we do? You know, what's we're scared. <laughs> we don't understand what's going on. You know, we, we think, you know, we're, we're about to get arrested for selling pizza for a dollar. Right. And, and, uh, and uh, and and we're just going through 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 the you know through through the the cycle of what it's like opening a restaurant for the first time without knowing anything really about what it takes to really run a restaurant the right way.
2: How quickly did you
3: start doing
2: things in a way that, like, I assume you're obviously paying attention to the numbers, but were you doing a P and L? Were you looking at your cost of goods like every week, month? You know, how were you besides? bringing in all the product and selling it for a dollar and trying to basically, you're doing like you're in a customer acquisition phase at that point. You're trying to get people to get hooked on this concept, but you're losing
3: money, right? So where did you find the balance and how did you find that? Listen, at the beginning, we just knew that, you know, we just knew that this is our business, we're going to we're you know we got some money saved up. we're ready to lose a little bit to see if this thing's going to work. You know we got the balls to 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 try this thing out, and we're just going to be psychopaths for a few months and see if we can uh, and see if we have a business or not, right? And like I said, the first couple of days we were selling you know you know a couple of hundred dollars a day, clearly losing money, clearly starting to think about you know maybe we can't have like four guys at the store, maybe it needs to be two guys at the store. maybe w- we need to you know w- we were working the register on the weekends. And we're sa- saying maybe we need to work the registers every day, right? And then uh, we came up, you know, I came up with an idea of, you know, right now we only have this truck board sign, right? This, this this sandwich board. And we wrote, you know, I wrote as neat as I can with my relatively neat handwriting for a lefty, you know, pizza, $1, right? What if we go to a printer and just make a, you know, put big stickers on all these windows on, on, on the entire storefront that we opened up? Dollar pizza, special two seventy 2 slices and a soda, put two sandwich boards out right we ordered everything we printed it the day we put it out the day we put it up our sales doubled right Two month, you know, maybe a month later on Fridays, our sales quadrupled already, right? And then, then the next thing you know, this is an area where 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 lunch is relatively dead, right? St. Mark's Place, no one's, it's not a lunch area. There wasn't. There's a, some offices there now, but in 2007, there was no no yeah, no business, nothing. just NYU kids walking around. And at that point, it was still where like the punks would kind of hang out there, or whatever. We started seeing at lunch that all these like Con Edison trucks and 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 uh, Verizon trucks and all these people are, were coming from literally all over the city to this place to eat because because you were allowed to stand there as a as a as a commercial vehicle and they knew that they were getting lunch for two seventy five. The word was out and 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 all of a sudden we have this business where everybody's coming here and then you know people knew about the place. The weekends. We're getting busier and busier, and it really became, at that point, those first like three, four years at that location, you know, I can't explain to you how crazy it was on Friday. You know, we almost got evicted three different times, three different lawsuits from the landlord saying... You know, the tenants are trying to, you know, the tenants are trying to strike, you have to change your price. It's too busy here. People can't get into the building. All these hoodlums are hanging out on the street, all, you know, all, all the skate crews would come, you know, 30 deep on you know, at, at lunch, all the, all the BMX crews would come Everybody would come to this place to eat, you know, and then at night it would, it would be, it would just be a, a complete, nightclub yeah, on the street, exactly, exactly.
2: So, so you found yourself with, with a good problem, which is that you were busy there. How long until you decided to open up number two and you said to yourself, I'm looking at the numbers here. You and Oren are sitting together and thinking this can actually scale. Even at a dollar, even at 275, we figured out the margin so that we can do a second one. How long was it until that happened?
3: So I think 3 4 months in we knew we had a business that was making money, right? The 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 store was a phenomenon at that point, right? We had, you know, articles in New York Times and a bunch of other places, you know, saying like how crazy it is, you know, the lines the lines down the block every single day. We were we were finally able to start getting efficient with the product, which was the biggest thing to the business, right? And something as as, you know, my brother and I, as as two guys who who aren't necessarily pizza men by trade or uh, chefs by trade, we're looking at how can we maximize the amount of money we're making. All of a sudden, we don't have the supply to meet the demand in this little store, and it, it that's when it really became a, a situation of efficiency. We kind of we we felt like we were at a good place, and then uh, we signed the lease in. Uh, in July of 2008, so we opened the first store right around you know the end of December 2007, let's say January 2008, and by, by September of 2008, we had our second store was open already on 6th Avenue and 17th Street.
2: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about $1 Slices, the infrastructure of the business, growing, and of course, your other concepts as well. Stick with us here on The Line on Heritage Radio Network.
1: Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium to galas in the renovated Palm House and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lilypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish.
4: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Andrew Friedman, and I'm the host of Andrew Talks to Chefs here on HRN. Every week, I interview a diverse cross-section of the best and biggest names in professional cooking. Give a listen and get to know all about the inner lives of chefs. You can find Andrew Talks to Chefs wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Welcome back to the program. Want to give away those pair of tickets to Taste of the Nation NYC, which is happening on the 17th in Brooklyn. So, this is what you're going to do to win the tickets. You're going to go to the Sussman's Instagram and you're going to send a direct message. What do you think Samisa is serving at Taste of the Nation NYC? Send it over to us. The first person to send us the right answer is going to win a pair of tickets to that event. So, again, Write in with what you think Samisa is serving at Taste of the Nation. First person to write it in our DMs wins the pair of tickets. If you're just joining us for the second half of the show, Eli Halali is on today, and we're talking about all his various concepts that he owns with his brother. They've got ten location of two bros. Uh, The Juice Shop has four locations, and Taqueria Diana has four locations, and they just opened Upside Pizza as well. So they have a lot going on. Before we get into the other concepts, Ellie, I wanted to ask you about your infrastructure of the business. You've grown very rapidly, and you have multiple locations. They're all around uh the city and we'll talk in a second about real estate and how you make that decision but i'm curious uh do you or Oren act as either ceo or cfo have you brought in a director of operations uh how do you manage 10 locations
3: yeah so so from experience we think the best way to run things is 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 to stay lean right uh a good friend and mentor once told me that in this fast casual slash quick serve world, th- th- there's two types of businesses, right? There's the business where you raise the money, and and you create this th- this thing where you know private equity brings in money, and they need you need GNA, you need all these people in an office, uh, you know, to do the, your social media, director of ops, CMO, CTO, all these type of things, and you try to create something big through that. Right. Over over the course of time. Or there's the business where you open a business and at the end of the month, hopefully that business makes money and hopefully you put that money in your bank account. Right. There's no overlap. There's 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 a and there's B. Right. We like to consider ourselves, you know, old school and, and, and more. And, you know, we lean more towards the latter for Two Bros, you know, one of our best friends is is the guy I guess we would call the director of ops who uh who you know we we've known since kindergarten and he's he's worked with us on and off in various different things throughout the years but he's been with us from the beginning at Two Bros. And uh my sister kind of handles all the human resources stuff uh uh you know, really from A to Z. So it's a, it's a so, family
2: and friend run business.
3: Exactly. And we we like to keep it and, and we try our best to keep it lean. It's more than anything, it's a general, it's a GM business, right? What we believe more than anything is it, it all comes down to your GM. You have good managers in the store. They're worth more than anything else, right? And we like to incentivize them and we find the ways to work with them. And we find ways, you know, when we develop, one of them especially, to, 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 to ha- have them understand how important they are to us and how important they are to the business and that they're more a part of the business you know, than anybody else really. So, so we really focus all our energy and resources on developing managers because we think that really is what makes the difference in, this business, in, in all these quick service slash fast casual businesses between a successful business and a non-successful business. And I can give you a million examples of, of how.
2: I, I want to talk a little bit about incentivizing staff and incentivizing managers. It's a really difficult thing these days where people just jump around, they're chasing you know fifty cents more an hour. It's really a lot of people that work in restaurants in New York. It's not necessarily a career for them. This is a job. They get a paycheck. Uh, how do you and your GMs keep your staff happy and showing up on time and, and cranking out? At a very high volume, and what is it's a that's a busy, hard job to make hundreds of pizzas a day extremely quickly.
3: Well, Two Bros is a different animal, I guess, than some other businesses. You know, we own we own other businesses where where you know there's really that whole plethora of different types of employees. You need to run a fast casual, right? Uh, you know, your your cashier, your different types of prep people. Mm-hmm. You know, in the juice shop, for example, your smoothie makers, your your, you know, the people who are just putting stuff on the bowl. Two Bros is a different animal because the majority of the employees that work in a store are professional pizza men, right? So, 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 so for the most part, they have a price on the market, and we're paying that price, and in and, and a lot of cases, over with overtime and and you know spread of hours and things like that, and 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 uh, and they and they know they know the type of people we are. We have great relationships with them for the most part, and there's no real reason to, to for them to move from one place to the other. This is this is their trade. It's it's different than. Than, than you know, being a general manager of of a uh, of of uh, you know a Chick Fil A Chick-fil-A or something, where 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 you're a great, you know, you have this job and you're sought after for different reasons, and you can move around from different type of businesses. Here, you're a professional, and uh, and. We give you all the reason, you know, we, we show you how important you are to us, and, and we really have relatively no turnover uh, in, in this business, especially compared to some of the other businesses we're involved in, where we see it a lot more.
2: That's really lucky, because in the fast casual space, there is a huge amount of, of turnover. Um, between all your concepts, you have over a dozen locations. So I want to know, how do you seek out where you're going to open, uh, obviously, Takaria Diana is in a different vertical than pizza, so you're looking at the neighborhood and what's nearby, but really, when it comes down to it, how do you and your brother find these locations? Are you using data, gut feeling? Talk a little bit about the real estate process.
3: Listen, my brother and I, you know, I start my morning every day. I'm in the office at 730 right from 7 30 to 11 i'm doing bookkeeping type of stuff at 11 o'clock you know my brother's in the stores in the morning we meet up at 11 in the store and then we're on the street for the next four hours wherever we are if we're if we're one thing more than anything else we're experts at new york real estate from a to z right understanding blocks corners streets competition the potential of competition uh, after you sign a lease, all these type of things we understand. We understand it because, you know, we've had success with it and we understand also because obviously we've had some failure with it. So so I think more than anything else, the, these 12 years in the business have, have helped us understand the climate. So there, and obviously there's a lot that goes into picking picking locations. When you have 25 stores like we do now, you know, there's, you know, we we look a lot at capex. Also, how much is is a certain situation going to cost us, right? If if we see a store that has uh, venting already and and uh, you know, ample gas, uh, lineage, right? Those type of things are valuable to us more than they might be valuable to someone else who's just necessarily looking at a location. We understand that that could change. You know, you know, there's a three. You know, all of a sudden we could open four months earlier th- 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 than other places. You know, we had. A, one of our best two bros, for example, on 25th and 6th on The corner. when we saw that store in 2010, we knew in like a day we need to sign this lease, right? The gas was kind of set up for, for, from, the, from the last tenant. The store, the store was, was situated in a perfect type of, perfect for the type of build out we were doing at the time. You know, we signed the lease in like September 15th. On October 21st, we were open for business.
2: That's unreal. Yeah.
3: That's so, unreal. Exactly. So, <laughs> no one
2: can get exactly, open that fast. Exactly. Do you find 12 years in that you are still asking, do you have mentors or people that, that you ask a lot for advice or do you really feel set in the businesses that the decisions that you make, you make them and you move forward? Like, Do you bounce ideas off someone who's external from the business anymore or do you really feel like internally you have it figured out with your team?
3: So over the course of the years, we've definitely, you know, we've definitely, you know, we partnered with different people on different things. So we have, you know, who, who have different type of experiences, for example. So, so, so we've been, you know, and they're people that I trust a lot. You know, for example, uh, the CEO and co-founder, the, the former CEO and co-founder of Be Good. It's a big chain for you know, New England based burger chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Ackle, he used to be our partner at the juice shop you know we still talk to him till today about different type of things how we look at things big picture what he thinks about you know this idea that idea whatever the case may be we have a partner who uh who we co-founded the jew shop with uh uh mitch who 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 we get a lot of ideas from who who i speak to almost every day about different type of business things so so you know we definitely respect people's opinions and we definitely take it and, and we try to learn from them and we've become smarter from from that but ultimately you know You know, my number one mentor is my brother who, you know, we're on the phone all day together talking about whatever the next step is. And, and, you know, thank God for us, for the most part, we're, we're usually in agreement on a lot of stuff.
2: With rising rents and taxes and then the labor just went up in New York State, um you know, you're seeing cost of goods go up because of the labor rise that impacts the bottom line tremendously. The customer does not understand that they don't care that your paper goods went up. Uh, they want their $1 slice. How, um, have you dealt with rising costs over the years, uh, especially with rent as you move into more expensive markets and, um, Have you done anything at the stores to help offset the $1 slice? Is there anything that you do as – I mean you don't have much of an opportunity for like a blended food cost because – you serve pizza, right? So, how do you work with those factors?
3: So, so ironically, ironically, with two bros is the one business we have the least amount of issues with with these things, and it's ironic because you know our main our main product is a fi- it has still been a fixed price of a dollar. Yeah. But but it's been like that because, like I said, you know, the people who work for us are professionals. They get mm-hmm. paid a certain wage, and that wage has pretty much been around there for the last couple of years. So 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 that hasn't been a drastic change to us. And and the answer to the question for two bros, at least, is that is that you know we've up upgraded our, our, our toppings menu. Uh, so, so, you know, there's slices that cost $4 at two bros also, right? Mm -hmm. That people love and people buy and, and, and it's a big part. It's become a big part of our business much more than it was initially. We, uh, so, so the $1 is really just, it's always been your
2: marketing mechanism and it's your calling card and people do come in and you have ticket prices that are 10, $12 if people are getting a drink and a slice and
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still, you know, the average ticket is still under $5 mm-hmm. for the most part. And that's taken into account people who are buying, you know, 10 pies at a time sometimes. Right. right. Yeah. So and, another big uh, another big factor for Tuberos is that the price of cheese has been relatively low for the last five years, right? It was at a scary place in 2014. Mm-hmm. And since about November, I believe, of 14, it's been relatively low till now. It was even at like a relatively all-time low uh, about seven months ago. So that's one reason, that, that's probably the key reason we've been able to stay at this price for the last... Last five years, hopefully, it continues to stay where it's at now, and 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 uh, and and it won't cause a big issue for, for us. But in 2014, you know that uh, that that fall and that summer, uh, you know, w- when prices of cheese were at you know two dollars and twenty cents a pound or whatever, that was a very 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 hard time for us.
2: I want to transition a little bit to Taqueria Diana, which is a completely different concept, a different business. Uh, it probably has its own set of headaches. Uh how did you and your team decide to move into that space? Um and, and and why? You know, you were having a lot of success with pizza. Did you feel like it could transition to another concept? Were you getting a little bored with pizza? What was it?
3: So so ironically we used to own uh we used to own a fa- like a falafel shawarma type of restaurant mm. on Second Avenue between Seventh and Saint Mark's. Okay. Uh, it was you know it it was good rel- it was good when it started at about 2010 and then by 2013 it was already just not an interesting business we didn't re- really have a passion for it. we didn't really understand it the way we thought we would when when we started it mm-hmm. and we were trying to sell the business and along came this guy from San Francisco who had this idea for this uh you know for for this fast casual Mex- mission style mexican restaurant you know he he had some experience in San Francisco working on it uh and uh at that point you know, we saw a real resurgence and we saw a renaissance really. And, in, 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 you know, at that point, Chipotle was relatively uh, established in New York, right, five years ago. And Dos Toros, you know, you know, a cooler version of, of Chipotle, you know, like a Dos Toros or, or similar businesses to them were all relatively thriving based on what we saw. And this guy came and wanted to buy our business. And uh, wanted to buy the lease from us, and and uh, you know didn't have the money it took really to to buy the lease, and we ended up partnering up with him, and starting the business from scratch. We ended up in, you know, we ended up investing a lot more money than we thought to kind of get it off the ground, and initially, you know that was a business that you know you know we opened the store and we understood you know his name is Matthew Matthew Larue, he's you know he's, he's obviously uh, he's obviously still our partner in the business, he. Uh, we opened this this restaurant, and my brother and I understood that this is the best Mexican food in the city. We were just like, this is unbelievably good. We ate at Dos Toros, we ate at Chipotle. This is a level above all all those all those places. You know, we opened the store. We're doing like three four hundred dollars a day for the first six, for the first three four months. And uh, we're realizing that most of our customers are like, you know, most of our deliveries are like 415 numbers, just straight up people from San Francisco. It just became a place where people from San Francisco knew this is a place that has real like California style food. And then we started getting like, you know, infatuation came all of a sudden and said we're like the second best burrito in the city. And, and, you know, our nachos got a lot of press because we make these like incredibly huge portions of, of, of delicious nachos with different type of protein things. And... All of a sudden, the store became a phenomenon, almost a bigger phenomenon than, than than two bros, right? Sell you know. Sales wise, it was a bigger phenomenon than two bros, and and it it became, you know, you know, to us, it's a very, you know, it's obviously a very successful thing to us, a, a thing we're very, very proud of. And uh, and and since then, we've really just kept, you know, building the business. You know, we have a store now in Hell's Kitchen that has a bar element to it. We have a store in the Lower East Side. That's similar to our Second Avenue East Village store in a lot of ways, size-wise, and then we have a you know a bigger store here in Williamsburg on Metropolitan Avenue, that's uh, that's that kind of takes things to the next level where it's you know two thousand square feet. We have an outdoor terrace, full bar, and uh, and uh, you know like I said, it's a business we're very proud of, and we're excited to see where it goes.
2: All your concepts are held privately. I imagine that someone or many people have approached you about franchising and private equity uh to a lot of people that's like the holy grail and you have not gone down that route i'm curious why you and Oren um have decided and what for what reasons you've decided to uh maintain total control and not go down any other path besides how you currently run your operations
3: we're old school we're old school in that way for we're old school in that way because you know it, it works for us we don't have to answer to anybody you know one thing you know one thing we always knew is that we didn't want to be somebody's employees and we don't want to take you know we don't want other people dictating how we live our life and and what we do and and it's a system so far that's worked with that being said you know some of our brands were trying to position into those type of uh into, into that type of a thing. You know, the juice shop, you know, we're partners with a company called Franz who they're big with. We just, we just signed a deal with them to, to hopefully start franchising the business. Okay. You know, they've, they've built the growth of like, uh, Qdoba, Five Guys, more recently like Halal Guys and, uh, Mamoon's Falafel, all companies that work with them. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to learn a little bit about, about, uh, about how that kind of works and, and see if it's something, you know, we'd want to implement in some of our other businesses. And, and uh, and you know, upside is something we we want to scale, and 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 it has more of an ability to kind of go into into different markets and different types of, of of real estate, right? A lot of our business is really predicated on just in, insanely high foot traffic areas that we're able to build relatively small stores, and and sell 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 the right amount of money to pay these crazy rents, right? It's not really and make money at the end of the day, right? It's not really the type of system that necessarily works around the, the rest of the country, right? So we're really trying to now find different ways, you know, especially with how hard it is to do business in New York. We know ultimately the right progression for us has to be to, 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 to expand our portfolio outside of, outside of this great city. So, so, so we're looking for ways to do that and, and finding uh, you know, different motives to make it work. Uh, upside is is different
2: obviously as as we both mentioned then two bros in a variety of factors The the dough has a lot to do with it the process uh you had anthony falco involved in that process your partner noam, um grossman noam grossman is uh really like kind of the day-to-day operator of that space the operating manager um can you talk a little bit about upside um what's different about it and uh and, and mostly like the dough process which i think is really interesting
3: yeah so so for us it was like a natural progression really to move from from where we were at two bros into into a business like this and it's cliche as it sounds it's a passion project for us right so so it's it's the type of thing where 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 uh where where we wanted to incorporate, you know, the best quality pizza that we tasted around the city throughout the course of our life. Mm-hmm. We wanted to incorporate, you know, basketball, which is a big part of our life even till today. We wanted to incorporate 90s hip hop and graffiti culture, which is which has always been a part of our life growing up. And we wanted to do that all while, while literally creating the best possible pizza we can, right? When you bring a guy like Anthony Falco into a project, and you tell him, listen, we want to make a great New York slice. These are our ideas. This is how we want to do it. He tells you, no, you have to make the best one or we're not going to do it. It has to be 100% the best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, luckily for us, you know, we bought Noam in and, uh, and, uh, and their synergy really worked together perfectly where, where Noam was up for the task of, you know, with Anthony of taking everything to the next, to the next level. And we've created an unbelievable product, right? We're one of the only places that, uh, that's making a... Sli- one of the only slice joints that's, that's making a product with 100% natural 11 sourdough. Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, Upside doesn't sell alcohol, right? No. And Tubros doesn't. No. And some of your Taqueria Dianas do not. Yeah. You have multiple locations at a low price point that are not assisted by the sales of alcohol. It's such a unique business model that many places like cannot get away with. Um, does any part of you think that we should open up bigger restaurants with bars attached to help them? Or do you like the area that these that these businesses exist in which is like uh, a heavy heavy scale model which is like volume is I assume at Tubros volume is really king and at Taqueria Diana it's a little bit different but um, alcohol basically alcohol helps so much you don't have them involved in a lot of your businesses how do you make that work and also do you have a strong desire to move out of this realm down the line
3: so look we're just operating in a different animal right one thing you know a lot of people obviously say is 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 uh, when you do a lot of things you don't do anything well right mm-hmm. we're really big on that simplicity on that simplicity factor you know the way mcdonald's started right the way the way in and out operates right the way we operate we operate an assembly line business right so so we you know a key thing for us is is keep it simple one product as as your, you know, 90% of your sales, 85% of your sales, and then, you know, some auxiliary stuff around it that doesn't really hurt your, you know, your efficiency, and, and that's the business. So, so uh, you know, as cool as it is to own bars, right, like, like I love going to Taqueria, Diana and Hell's Kitchen, which is near my office, like, you know, I go there at least once a week and hang out with them and, 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 and eat with them and go there after work for, for a drink you know we look at those PLs and and we get excited when you know when we see the you know how how it how it helps the business but ultimately you know our background is is this more is this more simple efficient business that uh that really just you know works on a scale you've had a lot of success in
2: multiple concepts and part of what happens these days is people come up with an idea they have to put together a deck and they're taking it out to investors it's It's very difficult and there's a lot of no's and there's a lot of uh, concepts that are maybe too close to an existing. Um, What advice would you maybe give to someone who thinks that they have a great idea, they want to take it out to market um, from like the branding marketing perspective where you've had so much success and
3: also from – just the, the fundraising perspective, what advice could you give to someone? So find an invest. So, so the best advice i give is find an investor who, who, uh, who understands how important the operator is. Right. And, and that's, that's the type of people we're becoming now. Right. You know, take, take upside, for example, you know, I know, Noam for five years. He spent some time in be good. That was his first, uh, first uh, foray into the food business. He then, uh, he spent some time at Dig In, which is another big developing company, and and I, you know, my brother and I obviously knew he was a talented guy. He he had all the ambition in the world, wor- world, and he was a person who was ready to work, ready to get his hands dirty and understand things. You know, so to us, he's the perfect type of guy to partner with, you know, and invest our money into to to to, to see him succeed, right? And and it's it's unbelievable how scarce. These type of people are in this in this market. As, as many stores as there are, and as saturated as all these food businesses are, right? We're sitting here all day waiting for the next, you know, noam to find right for the next noam to show up, so so we can invest and say go 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 do a business. We'll we'll do it with you, right? So 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 you got to find the people who understand how important you are to the business, and you you actually have to be important to the business also, right? You can't just be a guy with a deck. You got to be a guy who's working at the store. You know, my brother spends, you know. Every you know, eighty percent of the time my brother is at home, he's just watching all the cameras of every single store and you know, <laughs> on his on his on his uh on his phone and texting me, this is going on here, 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 you know, and you know, it's three AM and and you know, upside closed at at, at at midnight and you know, Noam's in the store making dough, right? you know, four or five days a week. And at 3 a.m., I'm asleep. He's texting me at 3 a.m. Look at this guy. He's an animal. You know, tell him to go home. You know, he's going to burn out tomorrow, right? So, 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 and, and, you know, and it pays dividends. It pays dividends. You know, he's created this unbelievable product, you know, with an unbelievable partner in Anthony. uh, And, uh, and, uh, you know, you know, you know, it doesn't come by accident.
2: You have a bunch of businesses. You work, with your brother and your family. I'm curious about what you define as success. Have you achieved that yet? And what's next then in that
3: realm? Whatever success is, I I definitely have not achieved. (laughs) Right. So, so it's about getting smarter more than anything else. Right. And and my brother and I, you know, Every day we're together all day long. We get home. we eat. You know, If we're not playing basketball together at night in the JCC League, we each get to our house. We see our kids. You know, we see our wives. And then you know, by 9 p.m., 10 p.m., we're back on the phone talking about the next move and the next day and how we can get smarter tomorrow and how we can do something that makes more sense and how we can make sure n- none of our stores are losing money next month and, and, and all these type of things. So, so we still have a long way to go. You know, we're we're grateful that we have these great brands with great people behind them, and you know, and you know, it's important for us to to keep building them up and to keep making them successful, because we believe their success is clearly going to be you know levered to our success. And uh, you know, there's still a lot of time left. We think upside. You know, we think Takaria Diana has has a long way to go. We think you know we're we're really starting to dig into that business more than uh, more than we have in the last couple of years, and, and things have been amazing so far. You know, we think Upside has the ability to really scale into, into a national brand, you know, over the next five to 10 years. And we're really focused on making that happen. And uh, and more than anything else, we're focused on making sure that everyone has a meal to eat for under $3 in New York for as long as we could possibly make that available. Ellie, thanks so much for being here and sharing
2: your story and talking a lot about your businesses and how you and your brother Oren got them up and running and off the ground. Uh, Congrats on Upside. You've got a bunch of locations, but why don't you share the address for Upside so that we can get some people at least figuring out one of your spots to go to, and then they can go to Two Bros and find out which one of those is closest to their house.
3: Okay, so, so Upside is located at 598 8th Avenue in Manhattan on the corner of 8th Avenue and 39th Street. There happens to be two Two Bros in that two-block radius, one on the corner of 9th and 40th and one on the corner of 8th and 38th, and there happens to be a Taqueria Diana on the corner of 9th and 39th down the block. So that Garment District hub is really you know, where we're centralized, and, and if you really want to learn about our brands, you can do it all in the course of 20 minutes.
2: All right, go eat some pizza, go eat some Taqueria Diana. Uh, Ellie, thanks again for being here. Thank you. Everyone, thanks for listening. You can find this episode wherever you find your podcasts. And join us Tuesdays at 11 a.m. for new episodes of The Line here on Heritage Radio.
4: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.